Hello, and welcome to Podcast 24 of Help with Parkinson's. Our guest today is Dr. Subramanian, movement disorder specialist from Hershey Medical Center. And I'm your host, Warren Butfinick. Welcome to the show, Dr. Sub. Hi, thanks for having me again. I'm glad you can come. And uh, today's topic is uh, intimacy and sexual issues in Parkinson's. And uh, this problem is often not discussed with the doctor because either there is an embarrassment issue or the patient doesn't feel that it's related to Parkinson's. And the goal of this show is for all Parkinson's patients to think of intimacy and sexual problems the same way they would constipation, choking, dizziness, upon standing on quickly. So um, hopefully people learn something. Dr. Soup, could you give uh, your intake on uh, the sexuality and uh, intimacy issues? Yes, absolutely. Um, This is an important topic, and many people, as uh, Warren just mentioned, are very reluctant to bring this up with their doctor, uh, first because of the embarrassment uh, related to it, and secondly, uh, the notion that maybe this has nothing to do with Parkinson's, and therefore they don't want to bring it up either. So uh, first off, it's important to recognize that um, sexual function and having good sexual relationship is part of normal, healthy living. So there's nothing to be embarrassed about um, having problems with it and seeking help from your doctor. So I personally think uh, it's just part of any other medical visit. You should bring it up. But having said that, um, many times you are coming to the visit with children, sometimes grandchildren, uh, sometimes uh, sibling, or occasionally parent. And in these situations, it's hard to bring up this topic because it's very private, it's personal, and talking about uh, sexuality and intimacy in front of um, your own uh, siblings or family members other than your spouse or girlfriend or boyfriend is sort of very difficult, a challenging thing. And if that was the case, I think uh, you should uh, tell the doctor that you want to have a private conversation. And I think that's perfectly acceptable. And uh, it would be okay to excuse uh, whoever that needs to be excused uh, for this uh, type of conversation to occur. Let's talk about a few things that are very, very common um, that can affect uh, sexuality. The most common thing, obviously, with Parkinson's disease is the mobility issues. So many people with Parkinson's disease have difficulty with mobility, and that can play a role in having normal sex because um, you are less mobile and you can't take up certain positions that uh, may be difficult for you to uh, assume uh, in order to be successful uh, in performing the act of uh, uh, having sexual uh, relationship with your spouse. Now, this can be particularly hard in the evenings because most people don't take levodopa carbidopa late in the night because you don't need it. Uh, You're taking it mostly during the day and most people are very active during the daytime. So typically, uh, the 16 hours that you're awake is what we try to cover with carbidopa levodopa. Now, most people don't uh, become intimate until later in the evenings or sometimes late in the night or early morning. And these are times when your levodopa doses are relatively low. And if you're relatively low and you want to be physically active uh, for having um, uh, sex, then it becomes hard to do because you're stiff and slow and unable to assume correct positions. 
Now, <clears throat> on the other hand, it is true that when you are emotionally excited and you are uh, 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 trying to be in a relationship, you do get a little bit nimble and you become less uh, stiff all over. And that's because your body does produce hormones that makes you relaxed when you're actually uh, engaged in an intimate act. So there are advantages and disadvantages, uh, which we need to kind of weigh in. So one thing people may want to think about is to plan when you want to have an intimate uh, encounter with your spouse slash girlfriend, boyfriend. Uh, this uh, allows you to dose your medicine correctly. So for example, if you choose to have a relationship, an intimate relationship later in the afternoon and don't wait until way into the wee hours of the night, then you might be able to do a better job because your uh, medications are working well and you'll be able to move much better. So assuming different body positions may be easier if you plan to be intimate uh, later in the afternoon, say between the hours of uh, two o'clock and uh, late in the night, like 10 o'clock, those hours are probably going to work out better uh, than if you choose to have uh, intimate encounters late in the night between 10 p.m. and 6 a.m. On the other hand, if you think, nah, that's not going to work out because we have people visiting, we have grandchildren that we have to take care of, and we're a busy household, we can't do it that time, then on those particular days that you want to have an intimate session, you may want to take an extra dose late in the night so that your medication will last through the time when you want to become intimate. So again, a little bit of planning, organizing, and working with your spouse to decide when you want to do um, get in to become intimate would really help. Planning uh, really helps out in this situation. The second thing uh, that's very common is that Parkinson patients uh, don't hydrate them well themselves well. They avoid drinking a lot of water, and therefore um, their bodily secretions become uh, less, and they also become thicker, and that's not conducive to becoming intimate. This is particularly true for women because uh, good uh, intimacy requires good uh, hydration. So drinking plenty of water and having uh, at least two liters of water every day will keep your uh, mucosa hydrated, and this will help um, have a comfortable, intimate experience uh, without having the issues of dryness, issues of irritability, etc. Of course, uh, using appropriate lubricants also um, assists with this, uh, this particular problem. In men... Uh, another problem that is very common is erectile dysfunction. This, of course, does not happen early in Parkinson's disease. It happens usually later in Parkinson's disease. It is part of the, one of the complications of Parkinson's disease, which we call autonomic dysfunction. Autonomic nervous system is part of the nervous system that also controls sexuality. So when one is sexually aroused, there's part of the brain called the hypothalamus. The hypothalamus sends signals via what we call the sympathetic and parasympathetic system into the private parts of both men and women. But in men, this particular signal, the electrical signal that comes through the sympathetic nerves um, actually causes the uh, male organ to become rigid. And by filling it with venous blood, 
and there's a little sphincter at the uh, bottom of the uh, male organ that has to close. And in order for the closure to be successful, you do need to have this nerve intact. Unfortunately, in Parkinson's disease, as the disease advances, sometimes this particular nerve is damaged. And because the damage to the nerve, the valve in the bottom of the male organ no longer closes. And then you don't get the uh, functional uh, stiffness that's required for the male organ to function during intimate periods. So this can be an issue. And if it is an issue, there are lots of treatments available, medications that uh, we all know and are familiar with, for example, Viagra and Cialis are um, readily advertised in the uh, news media as well as television shows. So you can see these um, ads and these medicines do work. Uh, they do work by acting on specific uh, protein channels and allowing these protein channels to function in a way that it closes the sphincter and allows the male organ to uh, remain functional during uh, intimate sessions. Um, of course, there are uh, issues with any medication, so they need to be cleared with your doctor. So discussion with your doctor regarding whether it's appropriate for you to take these medicines or not is also something to talk about. Now, beyond that, if uh, that's not functioning for you or it's not working for you, there are other options. There is a vacuum suction device. It's a mechanical device. But what we do with that device is to apply it over the male organ and apply a negative, negative pressure. And when negative pressure is applied over the male organ, uh, the blood, the venous blood enters the organ. And then you apply a tight rubber band-like device at the base of the male organ. This allows the male organ to be stiff. And by making it stiff, you can uh, uh, perform the act. And uh, this is a uh, mechanical device. Some people are sort of turned off because of the mechanics. However, I've had many clients who use this device successfully, um, use it as a uh, pre-sex ritual, and working, with, working together, two people working together can make this function really well. So uh, that's another option. And... Third option, there are uh, some injectable medicines. However, these injectable medicines have to be given into the male organ, and that in itself uh, is a turnoff for many individuals uh, to even think about the idea of having an injection into the male organ is something that uh, people think, oh, it must hurt a lot. But again, I have some clients who use it, and there are a couple of different agents that can be used that way, and they're pretty effective as well. There are, uh, when all else fails, uh, surgical solutions. You can have uh, a reconstructive surgery where they simply, the surgeon goes in, removes the sponge-like part of the male organ that uh, is filled with venous blood and replaces it with a uh, artificial uh, similar uh, substance uh, which can turn on and turn off by using a little switch pump that is installed in the groin, and <clears throat> this uh, can be very effective, and it can give uh, the male organ the function that uh, that is required for getting satisfaction. So those are uh, viable solutions, and these are all uh, ideas that will work, and it has to be customized uh, for the individual who needs it. Along the lines of men having problems with uh, erectile dysfunction, 
Women can also have problems, although it's not called erectile dysfunction. It's, uh, it can be in the form of uh, what we call vaginismus, which is tightness of the vagina, uh, or difficulty in actually performing the act in other ways, like, for example, pain associated with uh, uh, the sexual act. And these can be due to a variety of mechanical problems. It can also be due to a spasm of muscles, and that can indeed happen in the setting of uh, Parkinson's disease. Uh, besides all this, obviously, the emotional connection between uh, two partners is very, very important. And that, again, can be affected because Parkinson's does affect personality of people, um, can also affect intimacy in a more cerebral fashion, where people don't think about sex as much or they become uh, immune to it or say we're no longer interested in it or they just become to a point where it's not important for them. Now, if that's the case and both partners are okay with it, there's no issue. But sometimes what happens is one partner doesn't care for it, but the other partner wants it. And then there's a conflict. And this might require psychological counseling, marriage counseling, or other types of counseling acts that can you know, make the intimacy come back. But all of these are reasonable, viable options, and these need to be discussed with your doctor. They can happen in the setting of Parkinson's disease, and it needs to be head-on addressed. Uh, and I think the biggest impediment to getting successful resolution of these type of issues is the first step, which is to talk about it. Talk about it with your spouse and partner, bring it up with your doctor, discuss all of the options, and seek solutions without being afraid to talk about it. It kind of gives an overview of what I typically talk to my patients. I'm going to pause here so that Warren can ask additional questions. Thanks for the good explanation, Dr. Sue. So uh, a few things that unique to Parkinson's is the uh, facial expression. Everybody knows about that, sort of like a depressed look or sad look or, mm-hmm. or non, non-sexual look. Mm-hmm. That's, that people need to realize that that's, that's not always how the person feels. And if they do have depression, you need to get that fixed first. You can't assume it's going to be a lifetime of depression because you have Parkinson's. And uh, the biggest thing, I think, is your spouse becomes a caregiver. And that by itself leads you away from uh, thinking just like you were dating or, or just married. Because you're basically treated like, a, like with a caregiver for your spouse. So those things need to be worked out. Like Dr. Soup said, maybe with a psychotherapy or just talking and um, you just have to make more of an effort to bring, to bring that uh, feeling back because you have a lot of things in your way. The average 65, 70 year old doesn't have all these things to face. They just have growing old together where uh, Parkinson's patients have the growing old along with the uh, changes in the, uh, like the autonomic nervous system, which affects your blood pressure could also affects your intimacy. Do you agree with that, Dr. Sue? Uh, well, very well said, Warren. I think um, I, I, I see the pulse of wisdom from what you just said. Um, I think uh, uh, hearing it from people who have actually experienced it is uh, very illuminating to me. I'm learning something from what you just said as well. Um, I agree that facial expression is an important way in which we show our emotions. And if you have mass facies, 
or lack of facial expression, which comes frequently with Parkinson's disease, it can be a problem. Um, not smiling as much, having a glum face often makes uh, people who don't understand Parkinson's to think that you are deliberately doing it. But uh, as we all know, Parkinson's patients have no control over it. It's just the way it is. So bringing that back, bringing that smile back, making them laugh uh, is something that you're going to have to work, you know, and work with the spouse or work with a partner who is willing to put that extra effort to do it. And I think the second point that Warren made that uh, your caregiver, who is typically your spouse, girlfriend, whatever, uh, or boyfriend, is uh, now taking on a different role. Um, They are actually giving care to you which is much more than when you're a partner. So the relationship does change a little bit. And that change in relationship um, can be positive. It can be more romantic because there's more chance for intimacy. I've seen that happen in some of my patients. And on the other hand, it's also uh, has put stress in some partnerships because the partner now has to do more than what they used to do before. And that can be an issue as well. Um, and then uh, last part, which is the psychological profile changing, which is also true um, because sometimes when you are in a marriage or you're in a relationship, certain pe- certain uh, individual does a certain job and another individual does a different job in the, in the marriage. So, for example, uh, a uh, male or female partner might be responsible for all the finances. And then all of a sudden, the Parkinson's disease starts affecting your memory and you're not doing well with your finances, then the other partner will have to take over. And that puts considerable stress. And that stress can show in the form of emotional um, mismatch or emotional anger. Oh, you used to do all of this, and now I have to do all of this myself, you know, and plus I have to take care of you. That can produce a little bit of stress uh, and uh, rupture the romantic a relationship that's already been built over years. And uh, I just gave a few examples. I'm sure, Warren, you can relate to it much better than I can, um, yes. having lived the disease. So uh, I'll let you speak about it. Okay. Another thing, if you have a spouse that's keeping up with everything, is the impulse control issues. And a lot of people, I assume mainly that the spouse is a woman, that uh, they would be worried that you're you're – want to be intimate too much because of the medication you have. And um, that's, that's, I'm sure that's an issue with regular people in their 60s and 70s. But in this case, they're sort of afraid that, that uh, it's a side effect of your medication. Could you, Dr. Sue, could you say, tell us how, how yeah. often that happens? Yes, it can be quite frightening when it happens. Um, I've had uh, some clients who um, have taken on, for example, internet pornography. These are people who were in a relationship, in a very good relationship for very many years, the same spouse, no, no, no indication of infidelity or anything, loving couples, living together for years. And then once they got Parkinson's disease and put on certain medication, as a result of the side effect of the medication, the individual started um, watching uh, internet pornography and the spouse didn't find out until much, much later that that was going on. And this is costly business um, and they spend uh, money 
calling 900 numbers, uh, doing internet um, credit card uh, expenses, so on and so forth. Um, and it can mount up to several hundred uh, thousand dollars in some cases uh, until the spouse uh, eventually finds out and then corrective action will need to be taken, including reducing or stopping the medicine that, uh, that is implied. The commonest medicine that does this type of side effect is the primipixel and the ropinirole, the long-acting dopamine agonists uh, that are D2 agonists appear to have the biggest side effect. It's been reported with other drugs as well, although less common with carbidopa levodopa, it can, be, can happen with that drug as well. And the reason why carbidopa levodopa uh, is less likely to do it is because of its half-life, its relatively um, short half-life of about four hours. Therefore, it's less likely to uh, give that particular um, side effect. Uh, but it can be quite concerning. Um, then uh, another example of hypersexuality that I've seen is somebody who um, used to not have that much sex is now demanding sex every day. Uh, I've seen that happen, uh, and that can be quite uh, stressful in a relationship. Um, some people, of course, uh, jokingly say that's great, that you know they're now more sexually active, but sometimes it can be the point that it really um, breaks down a relationship and creates stress in such a relationship. Um, impulse control, like uh, uh, what uh, Warren was uh, mentioning, can also be an issue um, where the person who's affected no longer able to suppress emotions when they see attractive man or woman and seeking their uh, company, uh, that can also happen. And I've seen a few examples of that too, uh, which has got them into trouble. Uh, so all of these are possible. And if it's happening, you should bring it up with your doctor and see whether this is related to the, some of the medication and the medication can be adjusted quickly. And uh, most of the case, it can be overcome by fairly straightforward adjustments to medications, which takes little or no effort uh, and can be easily achieved. I think the final point uh, on this topic, which I will mention, is that some people consider some of these medicines, for example, Pramfixol, I've heard some patients say, oh, it's almost like an aphrodisiac. It gives me uh, better sexual function because I'm taking Pramfixol. Uh, if it does do that, uh, and if it's harmless, that's fine. But if it is doing too much harm and it's breaking down relationships, it needs to be brought up to the attention of the doctor because not everything about this is benign. And the so-called aphrodisiac-like effect of Pramfexol does not mean that it's actually normal or healthy. Um, although most people think, oh, yes, that's good, but not necessarily because that could have some deleterious consequences on your heart function and other areas of your body as well. So this needs to be looked at carefully. Good. So um, in your opinion, for somebody in that age group of 65, 75, 80, how much, and the, and the people with Parkinson's, how much more issues does a Parkinson's family have than other people that are just going through the old, old age period? That's a great question. Um, the, the statistics on this is not really available in terms of epidemiological data because very little has been done in terms of research to see statistically is it higher. 
But from clinical practice, from having worked with patients for nearly 35 years now, I will say it's much more common. Um, I would say 10 to 15% of patients with Parkinson's disease readily admit to having these type of issues, and they bring it up to the, to the doctor. But I suspect that 10 to 15 really is a very low minority, that a vast majority of them are silent. They don't seek attention. Even when we ask them, you know, we make a deliberate attempt to ask our, um, uh, our clients, even every time they come to clinic, whether they have such issues. And even when we ask them, um, some people are just reluctant to talk about it for a variety of reasons, embarrassment, having family member in the room, um, or just the fact that they feel that this is not something a doctor should be talking to them about. All of this uh, can be problematic. So I agree. Uh, I think there's a vast amount of uh, unreported uh, intimacy issues that uh, if reported could be taken much better care for. Okay. And that just, uh, I think we've done enough on this subject, but maybe if you want to add more, but I could uh, tell you, my feeling is no matter how bad physically or your body is from whatever disease you have, there's always a way to keep intimacy going. And that's the, that's the thing. Maybe Parkinson's people have a head start because they're talked to their doctors about it, but there's always a way to have intimacy. Completely agree. Do you have anything else to say, Dr. Sue? I think we covered most, if not all, of what we needed to talk about. I'm sure audience will have more uh, thoughtful ideas about um, these things, and we'd love to hear about it. Um, go to our blogs and write about this and tell us what kind of issues you've had. And the more um, clear your issues are, it would make us as physicians more educated about the need to talk about it, deal with it. If we didn't talk about some issue that you have actually experienced in terms of intimacy that we didn't bring out in our um, podcast today, uh, please do bring it up and we will be happy to bring, talk about it more. Definitely. Well, thanks, Dr. Sue. Thank you. Bye. Bye.